So here we go. Can you see it? I want to thank uh, Van for allowing me this opportunity. He sent me an email a few days ago and said, would you like to take 10 minutes to share about the convocation or have the whole service? Now, when you ask a lawyer <laughs> whether he wants 10 minutes or two hours, that's like asking somebody, you want $10 or a million dollars? So here I am. And it is Thanksgiving Sunday, and I want to thank you, Van, for allowing me this opportunity. I want to thank uh, Fellowship Bible Church for supporting Advocates International over the last seven years. Today is a time to report in. What in the world is God doing around the world? And then I want to thank uh, all of you for praying for me. You have a little packet uh, that uh, I've distributed to all of you, and you have a little card, what we call the right card, when things go wrong. There are a million of these cards floating around the world in 24 languages uh, because about 10 years ago I came down with massive cancer. And as a, from a practical standpoint, chemo, radiation, drugs, and surgeries, the doctor gave me really no hope. So Bobby and I decided to do an alternative approach, and that seemed to work. Uh, and then uh, five years ago, in July, I'm walking down the steps of my home, and I take a little stumble. I fall and I break seven ribs, which is the biblical number for completion. It wasn't six or eight, it was seven. And uh, punctured my right lung. Rushed to the hospital and a few days later I discovered that I had cancer in my left lung that I would not have discovered if I had not fallen and broken those ribs. That was the best fall I've ever had in my life. And so because of that fall, I decided to come out with this little card that has five verses in it that all of you, all of us, quote often, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God, and we know that in all things God works, and we know that in all things God works for the good, and we know that in all things God works for the good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. So as a result of that, I decided to make this little card, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will for your life? Well, here's one. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for your life. We'll have another everything in a few minutes. So in everything, do it to others as you would have them do it to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There are a lot of everythings that we should be doing. So this little card is circulated. This is the, I'm, I haven't written a book, but I got a card in 24 languages. So take that. I've got more of them out there. So thank you. And uh, this past week, I had some x-rays. My chest, uh, there's no sign of cancer there. I've got a little activity in my bladder. Uh, because of, I suspect, the stress drawing from this convocation that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, so keep, keep praying. I have discovered, and this is not to make light of the fact, but I've discovered, I've asked 40,000 people around the world if anybody prays for lawyers. And I asked, how many of you prayed for a lawyer this past week who's not a member of your family? Well, let's ask this question. How many of you prayed for a lawyer this week who's not a member of your family? Thank you, Nick. Now, I know Nick prays for me, and some of you do. Well, see, I've done that survey, and God knows nobody prays for healthy lawyers. And so God gave me what I consider the gift of cancer, which has been a tremendous witness. And now I have people all over the world, they come up to me and they say, Sam, how are you doing? I say, well, how do I look? You look great. Well, that's how I'm doing. I've been praying for you for five years. And then I'll say to them, why are you surprised? You know, if you're praying, I should. So continue praying for me. I'll be going in for what I call harvesting in January with my, with my doctor. 
And so thank you for that. Now, I want to share a little story about this song we just sang. That is our theme song, God Will Make a Way. On August 6, 1996, I was speaking at a church in Seattle, a large Baptist church. And I was setting up my table, and I've got a table out front with some materials on it and people to sign up for the mailing list. And as I'm setting up the little flags and everything, I'm wondering, is this, is this just Sam Erickson's idea to be at this church, or is God in this? You know, am I just on a road away from Bobby just for, because I like to talk? Or is there some reason? So as I was thinking those thoughts, the penis starts playing day by day with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. That's day by day. That's my favorite hymn because that's the hymn that my father's little church of 50 people outside Stockholm sang at the train station in 1953 when we left Sweden. I was an eight-year-old boy. Left Sweden, and at the train station, they sang day by day. And when I left for Harvard Law School in 1966, my church sang day by day. And when I left John MacArthur's church after being there for 10 years in 1980 to move to Washington, they sang day by day. And here she is playing day by day. So I said, okay, that's what I need. God will make a way. See, he tells us these little details. I know that I'm supposed to be here. So then I went in there and I did my messages for two services. And I would weave in this song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And I did this both services. At the end of the second service, I was back at my table and greeting people. And there was this very attractive woman in her mid-40s and what appeared to be her daughter standing there. She was about 20, and they were standing off to the side. And after everyone had left, she came up to me and she said, uh, uh, Mr. Erickson, I need to tell you about that song we sang, God Will Make a Way. She says, I'm from South Africa. I just flew in from South Africa, which is about 10,000 miles. My daughter's studying in Canada. She came down here from Canada. If just, and this morning we looked in the telephone book to see which church we should, we should go to. And Crossroads Baptist Church was the one, so here we are. Now, about six years ago, Mr. Erickson, somebody broke into my home in South Africa. And the man took me upstairs and did the worst things to me. My daughter was hiding in the basement. And while I was going through that terrible ordeal for four hours, I was singing the song that my, the women in my Bible study group had given me that week. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And after about four hours, I was able to escape, run to the guardhouse because it was one of these secured communities. And they got the man. I got my daughter out of the basement. And we were rushed. I was rushed to the hospital. And as I'm being rushed down the gurney in the hospital, my daughter starts singing, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. So that's the theme song. And then I come, I, you, I come here to Seattle, open the telephone book, and this lawyer from Virginia mentions God will make a way where there seems to be no way. That's why it's our thing. See, that's the way God works. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, this morning, I have three goals. First, to bear witness of Jesus Christ because it's the last thing he asked us to do in Acts 1. We'll get to Acts 1-8 in a few moments. To bear witness. I have a tie here. Uh, this has been my sermon illustration on five continents. I bought this in Beijing, China about nine years ago. Some of you that have pretty good eyesight, you'll notice a lot of fish. The school of fish going this direction. There are green fish. They're greedy. They don't have 401ks anymore. They have 201ks, as my son-in-law mentioned last night. And then there are the purple fish. Uh, they're frustrated. And then we have the blue ones. They're depressed. 
But there, here you have a little goldfish, the Christian symbol. And he's going against the current, counterculture. The quote I have in my Thanksgiving newsletter is by my dear friend and mentor, the chairman of my board, Lynn Buzzard. He said at the conference, live your life in such a way that it makes no sense if God does not exist. This makes no sense if God did not exist. And so here you have this little witness going against the culture. You have another one down here at the bottom. He's sort of half in, half out. He, you know, he goes to church on Sunday, but he's not too sure about being too open you know, Monday through Saturday. We don't want to be too religious now. But he's better than this guy. This is what I call an undercover Christian. Now, bearing witness of Jesus Christ, which is what Jesus asked us to do, go, I love to tell the story. We just sang that song. We have a story to tell to the nations. Now, which one of these are you? The one that's open, sort of in, half in, half out, undercover? I have no doubt that the artist that made this tie in China, that he was a believer, and I also have no doubt that the manufacturer doesn't have a clue what he manufactured. <laughs> now, so bear witness. The, the second reason is to help you see some biblical truths in a way that is a little bit different. Sort of thinking outside the box on some, on some issues, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And then finally, my goal is to impact one person in this audience. You know, I don't know who you are, whether you're over here or here, but my goal when I speak, whether it's five people or a few hundred or a few thousand, is to impact one person. A couple of weeks, uh, a week from Monday, I'll be speaking to 1,800 pastors and church leaders in Sao Paulo, Brazil, the largest city in the world, 22 million. And at the end of that week, I'll speak to 1,500 judges and justices and lawyers. And I'm going to use pretty much the same message I'm doing this morning. So uh, uh, when I spoke at the convocation and for this week, I got a card at the end of the week from a gal, a student from Australia. She invested 2000 Dollars to get a visa to come to America. She spent $3,000 on her airfare to come to the conference. She spent $500 to pay for the conference. $5,500, and she's a law student in Malaysia studying in Australia. She gave me this card. Dear Sam and Bobby, thank you so much for your time and generosity. I'm blown away with your commitment and passion. The Lord has spoken to me about my walk, the walk of Asia. When I received that message, I said, no. How can I do that? How can I do that? I'm no one. But God said, you are my daughter, and you'll do as I say. Thank you for being obedient and fruitful and faithful and to God's calling. Thank you. Love, Ruth, Australia, 2008. She went back and told me she is going to do Asia, a law student. That's my one. I don't know who you are this morning. Now, you may be wondering uh, why a church would invest its resources in a lawyer. Well, this morning I'm going to explain what lawyers can do. Last week we had the Gideons. I can't tell you how many lawyers and how many countries in the world where it's been lawyers that's opened the doors for the Gideons to distribute Bibles. We had a lawyer from Libya, North Africa, come to the conference. He's the only Christian lawyer in his country. It took him seven years to find a Bible in Libya. Seven years. He searched for a Bible for seven years. He came. And he gave his testimony. Incredible guy. And so this, and, and a, few, a few months ago, you'll remember, Stephen McKenzie, Stephen Kirsten. They had trouble getting visas to Chad. Wayne came up to me and said, 
we're having trouble with, with visas. Can you contact the State Department? Of course, our State Department has nothing to do with visas from Chad. And so I send an email to Bio, who's been in our church. He's sort of oversees Africa for us. And Bio contacted Allison in Mali, a Christian lawyer. Allison knew Baku, a pastor in Chad. Chad knew some lawyers. They contacted Steve. And to make a long story short, Steve got his visas. So lawyers, our role is to open the door, to keep the doors open so that the, so that the gospel can be planted, so that churches can be nurtured and grown. And uh, that's, that's our role. Now, it's in the Great Commission. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do everything that I commanded you. Now, the everything is not just John 3.16. That's a crucial part of it. But the everything is also so in everything do unto others, in everything give thanks. There are a lot of everythings. Now, Jesus said, in everything do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because this sums up the law and the prophets. You don't have to go to law school to figure out what is the essence of good law according to Jesus. The essence of law is the golden rule. And as you'll see in some of the letters that I've written to presidents, to ambassadors, to courts, out on the table, that, that principle, the universal principle of the golden rule, works effectively to save people from execution, to open doors for the gospel. Now, we've read Psalm 11. Psalm 11, written by David, in response to his counselors. See, his counselors were looking around and things were sort of wobbling. Are things wobbling in our own country at this time? Is the economy wobbling? Is our social and moral foundations wobbling? Political system wobbling? Things are wobbling. So what do David's counselors say to him? Flee like a bird to the mountains. Let's get out of here. Let's toss in the towel. Let's quit. And David's response was, I will take refuge in the Lord. He is on the throne. God is sovereign. We will not quit. And at the end he said, God loves justice. Upright men will see his face. This morning I want to share about some people around the globe who see God's hand at work, who sees how God will make the way where there seems to be no way. We read Psalm 37, a chapter that I've used for 35 years in counseling. There is no better chapter in the Bible if you're going through a tough time than Psalm 37. I memorized the whole chapter years ago, the New, New American Standard Version, and it starts, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not envy wrongdoers, for they shall wither like the grass. Fade like the green herb. Rather trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do this. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Therefore rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. If you're, if you're going through tough times, study Psalm 37. 20 years ago today, the California Supreme Court rendered the most important decision of my career. The lawsuit was against my pastor in our church, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. It was a historic case. The issue was whether or not pastors and church counselors, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, can they counsel and not get sued if things don't go right? In this particular case, a young man, 23-year-old seminary student, a good friend of mine, committed suicide because of issues he was wrestling with in terms of his girlfriend and his family, and he committed suicide. His father and mother, who did not go to the church, but hated the church, 
brought a lawsuit against John MacArthur, three pastors in Grace Church. That just happened providentially, that out of 350,000 churches in the United States, there was one church that had a lawyer on staff, because at that time I was a partner with a major law firm in Los Angeles, but I was also serving as the chief of staff, the executive pastor for John, a church with 20,000 people. And I was on staff. And six months before this lawsuit was filed, I had given the first lecture ever on clergy malpractice at a pastor's conference. And so what do you think God does? God, when he needs a case for clergy malpractice, why not Grace Church? And so we were sued. And I remember when we got the call from ABC News and the LA Times asking us to comment about this litigation, the first time in U.S. history that a pastor had been sued for counseling malpractice. I called up John and I said, John, in everything give thanks. I'm glad we're first because we're ready for this one. It took nine years and four days. I won it twice in a trial court. I won it, it was reversed twice in appeal. Finally, the California Supreme Court. In the most beautiful decision I've read in 40 years. It gives the gospel. It explains eternal security, which is a pretty tough thing to explain. Right there in the California Supreme Court opinion. And it said, you do not sue churches. You do not sue pastors. You do not sue Sunday school teachers. You do not sue any unlicensed therapist for counseling. And that, that was November 23, 1988, 20 years ago today. God will make a way. That case now has been followed in every single state in the United States, even though it's only a state court decision. See, God will make a way. Do not fret. It took nine years and four days to close the door on that lawsuit. Do not fret because of evildoers. There's a lot of evil doing around the world. Now, we want to turn briefly to Acts 1. If you turn your Bibles to Acts 1, and then we can... Proceed. I've, I brought Bobby's timer along, and I just realized I didn't start. So I guess I got still have 40 minutes, right? <laughs> Let's read Acts 1. These are the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples, and they're very relevant to what we're going to talk about this morning. Start with verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now think about this. This is 40 days after the resurrection. And Jesus has to give the disciples convincing proofs that he's alive. Now folks, I've had cancer for about 10 years. What convincing proofs do I need to give to you that I'm alive? But here we had the disciples. They needed convincing proofs that Jesus was alive. And then it goes on. On one occasion... He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The last question that the disciples asked Jesus in the last conversation was the power question. Are you now going to reestablish the kingdom? Are we going to kick the Romans out? Are we going to kick the liberals out? Are we going to kick the left-wingers out? Are we going to kick the seculars out? It's all about power. David said in Psalm 11, don't worry about those in power. Don't worry in Psalm 37, don't fret about those who are in power. And Jesus responds, 
He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That was, that was it. The last statement by Jesus, you will receive my witness, you will be my witnesses. And so, Advocates International is a global movement linking advocates in over 150 nations bearing witness of Jesus Christ through the legal profession. Now, I've given you a little, a little fold out that you can uh, follow along as well as on the overhead here. Now, this little fold out, by the way, I need to fold another 3,000. I brought boxes. It takes about... It takes about two and a half minutes, for, about two and a half hours for a box to fold. If you want to help to get these out distributed worldwide, pick up a box and, and you'll do it while you're watching television, listening to music, whatever else. And uh, let's take a look at this right, right here. So, see, Bobby tells me I'm mechanically declined. As, as Van shared, last month we brought together over 1,000 advocates from 100 countries. There were 500 internationals and 500 Americans to attend the fifth global convocation. We have established a, a, a group of leaders globally, 23 leaders. These are the, this is the finest law firm on planet Earth. Uh, these are from 21 countries, six women, seven people of color, diverse uh, and you see the 21 countries that are represented there. The leaders on each continent uh, are those presented here. In the middle are Teresa Canarati. She's been here at, at fellowship a few years ago with her husband and shared in Sunday school class. Teresa Canarati is a chairperson of our global council. She's a president of Advocates Africa. She's one of the most amazing individuals that I've ever met in my life. In fact, these eight people, next to them, I feel like my walk with the Lord is in a coma. These, these people are just amazing. Teresa Conradi, after the fall of apartheid, that's extreme segregation and prejudice in South Africa, when that fell in 1994, uh, she opened the first biracial law firm in the history of Africa. Recently, she was appointed a judge in Africa and took, turned it down so that she could work with Advocates Africa and Advocates International. As she is a white South African Afrikaner woman. The Afrikaners were the ones that had the lid on the blacks for decades and centuries in South Africa. And yet, Teresa has been elected two terms unanimously by an all black Advocates Africa General Assembly, mostly men. Can you imagine all black African men electing a white South African woman Afrikaner as their president? And she was just elected as the first global council chairperson. She's an amazing lady. Lynn Buzzard, uh, on the top, he is my mentor. 30 years ago when uh, he showed me an ad in the Christian Legal Society Quarterly for a lawyer to join, to join the staff, the ad said, uh, uh, he said, are you interested in, in, in joining our staff? And I, I noticed it said that uh, there was a nominal token salary offered. And I said, Lynn, I understand a nominal salary. I understand a token salary. Now, if you're talking about a nominal token salary. Does this mean I'm raising my own support? And this is not a bad idea. I joined, and for 28 years, I've been raising my own support. 
Lynn uh, is a remarkable man. He's the one that uh, mentored me and has mentored me over the last 30 years. He's the chairman of our board. Ruth Ross, president of Advocates North America. No person in Canada knows the issues of pro-life and pro-family better than Ruth. She's the executive director of the Christian Legal Fellowship in Canada, and she's the president of Advocates North America, a, a remarkable woman. Uh, she's known as the pocket rocket. She's got so much energy. Uh, she's small, uh, you know, about 5'3", but she's got energy. And Lacha Popov, who's been here, he's the president of Advocates Europe. Uh, he's in Bulgaria. I met Lacha in 1994. It took me three minutes to bond with Lacho. I challenged Lacho. I had met four lawyers at that time, Christian lawyers in, in Bulgaria. It took five visits to Bulgaria to find the first Christian lawyer. And by the time I met Lacho, I had met four, but they were all in their 20s, and they needed to be discipled. They didn't need to be mentored. So when I met Lacho, who was 39 at the time, I said, Lacho, I'm, I'm handing off the baton to you. you. You mentor these four. And over the last 14 years, uh, Lacho has mentored the Rule of Law Institute, which we established in 1995 in Bulgaria. And he has mentored over 200 lawyers. No person, no lawyer that I know of in the world has had a greater impact on his nation than Lacho. He is respected by everyone. In fact, a U.S. ambassador to Bulgaria told me several years ago, there's no organization in the Balkans, secular or religious, no organization that is better organized and gets the job, job done better than what Lacho. Janela. Pons, she's from Uruguay, President of Advocates Latin America. Uh, she's a very gracious, quiet, reserved woman who stopped, along with Advocates Latin America and a little handful of seven other lawyers in Uruguay, she stopped Planned Parenthood and the whole abortion industry who was trying to push the first abortion on demand law in the history of Latin America, trying to push that through the parliament in 2004. I'll come to, back to that later. And she, with her group, uh, stop that from happening in Uruguay. Min Chun Li uh, is a Malaysian, uh, tremendous lawyer who's Chinese by extraction. He's on the board of directors of the United Bible Society. Mark Mudri, um, he's, a, he's from Australia. Uh, Mark, uh, he headed up our prayer support. We had 40, 40, 40 days of prayer leading up to the convocation, 26 days after. When Mark starts praying, you feel like you're sitting next to a 747. Uh, as is true for a lot of these people. You just, you just sense the power. We had prayer starting every single day of the conference at, at 6 o'clock, and there were 70 to 100 people there every single morning for an hour of prayer. That's Mark. And then Sam Casey, General Counsel, Advocates International. Sam and I go back 21 years. Uh, he considers me his mentor. Uh, he left a very, very fine law firm in California in 1987 to start doing pro-life and religious freedom work. Uh, and he knows that topic better than anybody in the, in the United States. For the last 14 years, he's been the director of Christian Legal Society, where I was the director for 10 years, and Lynn Buzzard before me for 14 years. So we have three of these quarters. Lynn Buzzard, Sam Erickson, and, and uh, Sam Casey, almost 40 years of leadership with Christian lawyers in the United States. And now Sam Casey, uh, as of January 1st, will be my general counsel. For the first time in 21 years, we're going to be together. I have a staff of right now two secretaries and myself, uh, and we're going to grow by 33 and a third percent when Sam joins us. So there are going to be two lawyers. So pray for Sam. Sam is, uh, uh, the cost of discipleship to follow Jesus for Sam has been in the neighborhood of $15 million. That's what he's given up on income. Now, we organized advocates. We started advocates in 1991 after a visit to Moscow. I was invited by the Soviet Academy of Sciences 
to Moscow, they wanted to try to get the Ten Commandments into the Soviet school system. Can you imagine? In the Soviet Union, they're trying to get the Ten Commandments into the school system. Over here, we're trying to get it out of our school system. And so while I was there, one morning, I, I, I said to one of my colleagues uh, in this delegation, I hope I meet a Christian lawyer before I return to the United States. Well, this is the Soviet Union. This is Marxism. This is communism. This is atheism. And that was sort of far-fetched hope. But God will make a way. Well, there seems to be no way. An hour later, while meeting with the president of the Russian Bar Association, there were four lawyers in the room, and one of them was a woman. And she introduced herself. My name is Natalia Vysotskaya. I'm a lawyer. I'm Russian Orthodox. And my friend, who I just expressed this wish, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I want to meet a Russian Christian lawyer. Well, she was Orthodox in her tradition. And so here she is. And, and, and he said to me, hey, you got your wish. So over lunch, I, I heard what Natalia was trying to do. Two days earlier, she had started a prison ministry. She wouldn't call that that. She wanted to help inmates because she'd been a lawyer for over 20 years and she wanted to provide legal support for inmates and also to provide food and clothing for their family. And as she, the more she talked, I said, isn't this dangerous? I mean, you're taking on the whole system. You're taking on the Soviet Union. And she said, Sam, the worst they can do is kill me. The worst they can do is kill me. Now, when somebody understands that. Live your life in such a way that it makes no sense if God did not exist. And in the last 17 years, 18 years, I became her first supporter. And her son, by the way, is our Nikki. Her, Natalia's son, Nikki. I invited him to the United States to put him through a Christian college. He's now one of Dell Computer's top engineers. He'll be here for Christmas. And we have a little Russian grandson named Alexei, because I met Natalia, who introduced me to Nikki and brought Nikki over here, so you never know. Natalia has helped over 20,000 inmates. She's filed 3,000 appeals, she and a little group of volunteers. They have reduced 3,000 years in prison terms, and she was one of the lawyers instrumental in stopping executions in Russia. Can one woman impact a country? God will make a way, but it seems to be enough. It was when I met her, I said, my goodness, you know, we have it all in the United States. They really have next to nothing in the Soviet Union. And then two days later, Sunday, January 26, 1991, I attended my first church service in a communist country. It was a Baptist church service. About 300 people, mostly old women. They call them babushkas, you know, gold teeth or missing teeth. And I've never seen such radiance. It was like 300 candles. I mean, these people were joyful. I mean, it was amazing. And when I stood up there and, and I gave a greeting, Lynn gave the message because he's a pastor as well as a lawyer. And we sang, How Great Thou Art, and What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I returned to the United States, and I said to the Board of Christian Legal Society, We have it all, folks. We may be whining and complaining in the United States about our freedoms, but they have nothing. So we need to help them. CLS was not interested in helping them, so I left CLS to start helping the Natalias. And what do we do? We started meeting individually. I traveled to about 27 countries, encouraged Christian lawyers to live out Acts 1-8. To be witnesses locally, organized nationally. And so for about six years, it was primarily traveling. And I realized after 26 years that I could not do this myself. The best thing to do was to bring them together. So in 1998, we had our first global convocation. 25 countries, about 40 people. No big deal. This last time, over 100 countries and 1,000. So it's grown a little bit. And in 1999, we had the second one. 2000, our third. 2004, our fourth. And then we had our fifth. And this time around, now that we had six armies on every continent organized, this time, what is our task? What should we do? And we organized seven global task forces, religious freedom, human rights and justice for the poor, peace and reconciliation, 
sanctity of life at all stages, not just unborn. Did you know that the state of Washington became the second state to approve euthanasia? We are on a slippery slope in the United States with euthanasia, basically killing old people. It's a slippery slope. Once you start down that slope, you can rationalize, and you, when you rationalize, you tell yourself rational lies. We do that. Rational lies. And Washington rationalized. Now, there are difficult issues with people that are sick. Bobby and I have wrestled with this with, with, with uh, three of our parents. There are times when it's very, very difficult to continue living. But sanctity of life at all stages, integrity under the rule of law, protecting the family, and praying that God's will be done. And then how do we do this very briefly? Jesus in Acts 1.8 said, You will receive be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's local meetings. We encourage every lawyer, get together locally. Here at, at Fellowship, you, and Bobby and I have been in local or small groups. That's where you make relationships. I encourage you, if you are not in a small group, a women's group, a men's group, a Bible study group, some kind of fellowship group, you're missing out. It's not only local meetings in a local church building. There was no church building to sit in for 300 years after Jesus' ascension. This is sort of a new thing. Before then, people were going house to house. So I would encourage you to have your local meetings, not only within the church, but small groups. Then organize national group, organizing national groups in over 100 nations. In 1991, there were two countries in the world, the U.S. and Canada, where there were Christian lawyer groups doing something proactive. Today we have over 100. And then regional networks... Once you have these groups organized, you can work effectively uh, regionally, and we'll come to that in a minute, then disciple globally. And that brings me to what the regions are doing. Advocates North America links Canada, the Caribbean, the U.S. It oversees the Global Task Force on Life, Family, and Community. I don't know if you followed the news this week, but one of the issues that is right front page news is that for seven years, Sam Casey, Christian Legal Society, and the Bush administration... They've been working, we've been encouraging the Bush administration to have a freedom of conscience exemption for doctors that, Roman Catholic and other doctors that do not want to perform abortions, or nurses that do not want to participate in abortions because it violates their religious convictions, their conscience. And churches or hospitals, uh, that, that this is a religious issue for them. And so this week, the Bush administration announced, the Human, uh, the human Health and Source Resources announced that the these regulations would be, uh, would be implemented. And all of a sudden, Planned Parenthood and other groups put up a real stink, uh, and uh, this is going to be a real issue. Can you imagine, if you're a doctor, a gynecologist in a hospital, or you have a hospital like your church runs, and the federal government says, you must perform an abortion, or you're a nurse, and you must perform an abortion, or you'll lose your license. That's a life issue that we're facing in North America as well as in, in Europe. And, and uh, Advocates North America oversees that. Advocates Asia links advocates in most of the nations in Asia. It oversees the Global Task Force on Religious Freedom. I have some letters out front, uh, one that I wrote to President Karza. You may remember about two and a half years ago, there was a, an Afghan gentleman named Abdam, uh, Rahman, Abdul Rahman, and he had converted from Islam to Christianity. And he was on trial because when you convert in the, in the Islamic Republic, when you can convert from Islam, you leave Islam for Christianity, that is a capital crime. You will be executed. There is no other punishment. And so he was going to go on trial. And I wrote a friend of the court brief to the, to the 
judges, the three judges, if you want to know how do you approach three Muslim judges to explain what the issue is here, how do you explain to the president of, of uh, Afghanistan, Mr. Karzai? And I've got those letters out, out in the lobby for you to, to uh, uh, take with you. And this was my closing letter, in my closing paragraph to President Karzai. Although Christians have been murdered for their beliefs, no follower of Christ in recent memory in any Muslim country in the world has actually been executed by court order for making a decision to follow Christ's teaching as Mr. Rahman has done. We hope that Afghanistan's courts will consider the golden rule as an overarching universal principle in rendering its decision concerning Abdul Rahman. We respectfully ask that you forward the enclosed materials to the district court for its careful consideration. Uh, President Karzai, Muslim, getting a letter from the United States. I also sent a copy of this letter to the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan. And I, it was to Ron Newman. I said, Dear Ron, why can I address a, an ambassador by his first name? Because Ron Newman and I sat next to a, each other in high school physics class. So Ron and I were buddies 44 years earlier. Now, is that just luck or is this... God will make a way when there seems to be another way. And so I wrote to Ron explaining what I was trying to do. And that at the end I said, when you come back to D.C., please give us a call. We should meet at least every 44 years. Okay? Now those letters. And I also have the letter that I wrote to the courts that are available for you. So religious freedom in China. Uh, 11 years ago, I, I was the chauffeur for the director general of the Religious Affairs Bureau of China. He's the most important person in China on religious freedom. And he just happened to come into town, and I was invited to meet with him. And I offered to show him and his seven colleagues around Washington. And his name is Yi, and I, I prepared a thing on a golden rule that, that I read to him the morning we, we met. And he liked it so much that he said, can I publish this in China? I said, of course. Now, the golden rule is, of course, also the statement is, love your neighbor as yourself, which is a second great commandment. When you mention the second great commandment, you must mention what, that there is a first. And the first great commandment is to love your God with all your soul, heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? And so after that day, 15 hours of showing Mr. Mr. Yi around, he referred to me as Uncle Sam. And I referred to him as O Yi of Little Faith because he's an atheist. And, uh, and the rest of the story is on October 16, as a result of a lunch that I had with him in Beijing in August of 1997, they issued a regulation that said there's no registration for home Bible studies in China. There's no home... No registration required for home Bible studies. That does not mean you have a permit. You can go out and build a church. Big difference. You hear a lot about house churches in China. A house church is a building. A home Bible study is something different. And as a result of a relationship, developing a relationship, I spent 30 hours with Mr. Yi. He issued this clarification on policy that you do not have to register a home Bible study. And then that's Asia. Africa. We link all 53 African nations. Our budget for Africa this year, just to let you know, our budget for Africa is $3 per country per day. We have Bio, who's been to this church several times. He, he is our coordinator. He facilitates our ministries in Africa. Uh, and uh, Peace and Reconciliation, we have uh, the, the Peace and Reconciliation Ministry of Africa that teaches and trains the military, police, pastors, lawyers, and others in, in Peace and Reconciliation. The rule of law, uh, Europe, Advocates Europe, links most European nations. It oversees the Global Task Force on Integrity and Rule of Law. 
uh, in Albania. I've been to Albania some 30 times, uh, 25 times. Albania, 1967, the dictator named Enver Hoxha declared that atheism would be the official religion in Albania, a little country next to Greece. If you had a Bible, a cross, or a crucifix in your possession until Enver Hoxha died in 1984, you'd go to prison for 10 years. Today, Enver Hoxha's former residence, Building 31, his former residence is Grace Church of Tirana, planted there by John MacArthur's Grace Community Church, and it also hosts the, holds the first, the first evangelical seminary in the history of Albania is in Enver Hoxha's former residence. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And so that's, that's Europe. Latin America. We link all nations to Latin America. In fact, in Latin America, 19 out of 20 have national organizations. The way we work, local meetings, L, organized nationally, O, re regional networks, R, and disciple globally. And here again, in Uruguay, I mentioned four years ago, where Janela uh, was able to, to derail, I wrote a letter to the Senate uh, in Uruguay in 2004 that was published in the major newspapers and has been distributed all over Latin America. To, it's, a, it's not a Bible verse quoting letter, but it's got truth. It's got biblical truths in there. It mentions the golden rule. And uh, just a few weeks ago, the Senate and the Assembly in Uruguay passed the first abortion on demand law in the history of Latin America. But on Monday of this week, six days ago, the president of Uruguay, a liberal gentleman, vetoed the law. President, you know, we're standing there, there be, uh, the lawyers there are being salt and light, and Latin America uh, is heads up to human rights and justice for the poor. And finally, uh, Oceania. Uh, this is Australia, as you can see that they're all Australians that came to this conference. And uh, they spent $3,000 each to come to this conference, just the airfare. Uh, they went back home, energized. I got an email last night from Mark Mudry, who's the tall gentleman in the back there. Mark, he said, we just had our first organizational meeting for Advocates Oceania. So that's the sixth continent. So the report that you helped support of the Global Convocation, the largest gathering of Christian lawyers in history. They went home energized. 90% of the people that came to the convocation of the internationals, 90%, signed up to join and to support and be involved in one of those task forces. So what is Advocates International? It's a global movement. This is not an organization. If I died today, if I dropped dead today, everything will continue. Because we have prepared at the local, national, and regional levels to do the work. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being there. Thank you, Fellowship, and thank you, Van, for allowing me to share.